I want to give you a little bit of logic because I'm not opposed to spiritual logic. Matter of fact, that's why one reason I love God's word so much. There's, it's full of spiritual logic. So I'm a logic guy. I was an engineer by degree. I, I, lo- I like the, the idea that we can know how everything works. That's how I apply my life to the spiritual stuff. I know how it works. That gives me great happiness, great confidence, rather than just flipping coins in a wishing well uh, or, or uh, hoping and wishing and praying up to the sky. I like the fact that we know exactly how God operates. With one little gap where we're not quite so sure how he's going to do this one, but we know the principles that got us there. So let me just give you a couple things. So we were born questioners. It's okay to question things and ask why. Kids do it all the time. Why, why, why? As soon as they learn that word, man, they, they abuse that word. And that's okay because God planned this whole world to incite people to intellectual activity, right? We're supposed to be thinkers. So let me just give you a few Bible facts so that you can see that, that God knew stuff before science, scientists did. Uh, we knew back in the Bible days that the, the earth was not flat. Now, how many of you still believe the earth is flat? Don't raise your hand. We'll have to give you a flyer on the way out or a video. Okay, anyway. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, says, God sits above the circle or the sphere of the earth. In Job 26, 7, says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. In the Bible days, they knew the earth was in the middle of the universe, suspended. The hydrologic uh, cycle, which is the the rain comes down and then the evaporation, condensation, clouds, rain. Uh, In Bible days, they knew that there was no new creation of water. God created all the water on day one or day, day in the beginning. Isaiah 55 says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout and furnish seed to the sower, bread to the earth, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It'll not return to me void, but it'll accomplish that which I please and succeed in the matter for which I sent it. In Bible day, they knew that there was this circle, this hydrologic cycle of water and evaporation and all that. Uh, The other thing they knew is that uh, uh, the moon was not a luminous body like the sun, that it only reflected the sun. Job 25.5 says, look to the moon, it doesn't shine. And they thought it shined for many, many hundreds of years in modern day. Praise the Lord. But the bottom line is this, we're not looking to science to prove God. We're not looking to science to, to match every single thing uh, in the Bible, because God designed it where there's going to be a lot of uh, unanswered questions. The best evidence for God is the Christian. It's not science. We don't have to go prove the age of the earth in order to, to make sure the Bible doesn't have any conflict. No, the, the age of the earth is, is a hypothesis and a theory either in the Bible and in science. Science has no clue exactly how old the the age of the earth is. It's like evolution just guesses in a lot of these theories. So evolution really is a religion because nobody has seen any evidence. Nobody has seen 
creatures evolve from one species to the next. Evolution itself is a science, I mean, is a religion. It takes faith to believe in evolution. Don't let anybody fool you. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Let me give you a couple, let me just give you uh, this little, I'm, I'm skipping all of these boring things about that and that and that and that. Most scientists are now agreeing that intellectual design is a fact. Like there's no way you can have this complex of a system without somebody intelligently creating it. Most scientists are getting there. I mean, from DNA to all the details that they've learned, it's just, a, it's, it's almost really impossible. They're admitting it's impossible to have this most wonderful creation so complex without something designing it. The problem is they want to keep it very ambiguous out there, that it's not a holy God who is just and who we answer to. They want to keep it just like a robot. We don't know what it is, but it's something designed it. But I had some of this that I wanted to tie some uh, uh, strings together with. The advancements we've had in, in, in this life, and then we'll be done with this and we're going to get to the Bible. The advancements that we've had in modern day, okay, or, or in recent few hundreds of years, uh, I, I believe that there's correlation to spiritual awakening. And so let me give you some of these dates. The first great awakening of the church is deemed to be in the 1700s, 1720 to 1750 with John Wesley, George Whitfield in Europe, Jonathan Edwards. You've heard some of those names. Those are revivalists who brought the gospel in a fresh way that had never been preached and mass salvations occurred around the world in various places. The first great awakening ended about 1750. The industrial revolution began in 1760 which took us from an agrarian, uh, just farming lifestyle into the city and into uh, uh, really an economy that's dom dominated by industry. I think it came from spiritual revival. The second great awakening with Charles Finney, 1800 to about 1840, set up the second industrial revolution, which was the age of science and mass production. Whereas by 1900, most Almost half people in the world were living in cities, and that's when you see the automobile factories start to begin. The third great awakening was Azusa Street, 1904, where Pentecostalism really kind of began, where the second wave of the Holy Ghost since the book of Acts hit the whole earth, traveled the whole earth. And once people started getting filled with the Spirit, we went from, and that's 1904, once people started getting filled with the Spirit in mass, we went from horse and buggy as the mode of travel all the way to rockets to the moon in just 60 years. Just 70 years. All the way from horse and buggy lasted all those thousands of years, all the way until the Holy Ghost was spread in mass. And with just in a hundred years, we've gone all the way here. Electric cars. I'm looking at y'all. Electric cars. <laughs> Pretty interesting, right? Uh, then we have uh, the 1950s and 60s, the charismatic renewal, 
where more and more people were getting filled with the Spirit. More and more and more and more people, like a flood of people from denominational churches into the Spirit-filled life, where the manifestation of the Holy Ghost and the power of God is more evident in the 60s. And think of all the technological advancements regarding the computer that have happened since then. I think there's correlation between God uh, reviving the world spiritually and then being able to give innovative design into the hearts of people. And then you can go do your own study and see all the different scientists. The old, old scientists were believers in God. Those who did the most in math and science were believers in God. Sincere, devout Christians who sometimes wrote more about Christianity than about science. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. Science day is over. <laughs> I just want you to know that if you have, listen, if, you, if you're having questions about God and, and spiritual things and it just kind of sits on your shoulder and won't let you go, email me. And then we'll, we'll discuss it on the phone or I'll send you an email or we can come talk about it so you can get some of your questions answered. Now, if you want me to prove the age of the earth, I'm going to send you to this young man right here who wrote his uh, high school dissertation. <laughs> uh, so th there's going to be some place where we, we can't really decide and you'll just have to let it go. Most every Christian wants to go prove some stuff. And when we're, first, when we're first saved, we want to go prove things. Some are provable, some aren't. You're going to have to be okay with that because God designed this to where it does take faith in order to have him. If God wanted everything perfectly proved physically or visibly, he could just appear and walk through the aisles. He didn't want it that way. He wants you to want him. The way God designed this whole thing is that uh, those who aren't interested in him don't need him, don't have to have him. Those who aren't interested in God uh, aren't the ones called to God. So you have to want him before you can come to him. And so he's not going to force people with magic or with appearing or with miracles on display for that purpose. He could just do any kind of miracle. You follow me? What makes this whole thing special between God and man is that we have a choice and we have a total choice. We have total freedom in wanting God or not wanting God. And if we want God, we can go straight through Jesus Christ to receive God. The beauty of this whole thing is that we have a choice, free will. And because we have total free will to come to God, serve God, love God, really obey God, really, really learn from God, because we have total autonomy in our own personal life, it makes all of our choices very significant and meaningful. Everybody wants to lead a meaningful life. Well, God's not going to force you to want him. You're going to have to want it. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I chose him. That's special. And really he chose me first. That's special. So choice allows it to feel very special. You have a relationship with God because he chose you and adopted you. And your heart wasn't hard and stubborn and intellectual to the point that you couldn't open up and receive him. And that's why the Bible says that he has confounded the wise of this world using foolish things like what? Like uplifted hands, like Christians reading their Bible, like believing in one you haven't seen, 
Like believing before you get to see. Foolish things to confound the wise. And that's why there's not many wise and intellectual people that are called into the kingdom. They, They could all be in, but because of their high intellect, because of their... Uh, because of it feeling like they're so smart and smart enough not to need God in their life, not many of those come in. Now, occasionally one or two comes in. You know, David Zeppelin's here. (laughs) Brother Patrick's here. We've got some smart people that are here in the kingdom. We're not saying people aren't smart. But it says not many noble, not many wise, We're not looking for every president of the world to receive Christ. They're not all gonna. Not all the highest echelon of folks are gonna receive Christ. Most of them have it made without God, at least naturally. Bottom line is God has allowed all of us to come into the kingdom because we had a pliable heart. Jesus said that the good ground, seed is planted everywhere. The gospel is preached to all people and some of it's on stony ground no depth. Some of it's in thorns. Some of it's by the wayside, careless. Some of it's on good ground. And the Bible says the good ground are those with an honest and good heart who receive the word and bring forth fruit from it. So all of you have honest and good hearts, right? Some churches have 25% of each of those seed, each of those hearts, 25%. We have hundred percent good heart, good and honest heart. Glory. Praise the Lord. Y'all want to keep that up or you want to read the Bible? It's a trick question, right? Okay, let's read the Bible. Go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're just going to see several principles of faith that will help your life. Are you ready? Uh, that's, why, that's why I can't do a whole lot of this uh, other stuff. Uh, apologetics. Everybody know what apologetics? Yeah. Probably not. It's a strange word. I don't even like using it. It just means the defense of the faith. So when you're talking to an atheist, you're an apologetic. You're trying to prove and explain and defend. And we do a lot of that, but I don't like to use that word. So that's why we're not going to continue with the science discussion. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany... At the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you've entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it here. Now, here's a little principle that, you know, the Lord needed something, and so he got it. Isn't that right? But he's an example for us, so whatever you need, you can have. Now, don't be taking people's cars saying, the Lord needs this. I want you to first see that, you know, whatever you need, you can have because God supplies every need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, What you have to recognize is that if this was to take place in your life, you would need to have a leading from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the leading would be from the Holy Spirit. You can go do something that's out of the ordinary. Other times, you would have money in your pocket to go get yourself a horse. Verse 4, so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street. They loosed it. Some of them said, what are you doing loosening the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. 
So, hey, you could try that if you felt led by the Spirit. Hey, can I borrow your car? What for? The Lord needs it. Okay. Now, don't be trying it on church members just because you know they love God. Got to be led by the Spirit. Okay. Uh, so, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, meaning, you know, Lord save or Savior come, please. It's a way to adore the Lord. And that's why we had a song just today. You saw Hosanna in the highest. This was the, the, this was the prediction that the Jews were going to say this when the Messiah came. And that's what today is on the calendar. It's, it's, they call it Palm Sunday. It's really clothes and leafy branches Sunday. I think the other gospel says palm leaves. But anyway, we don't need palm leaves flapping around in here. That doesn't really mean anything. If you, if, we, if you got any extra palm leaves, go stick them on our palm trees out there that are a little bit bare right now. But in Bible days, that was a way to honor people. You put your clothes down. You put something for them to walk on or ride on the road so the dust isn't everywhere. It's just a, like a red carpet. It's, that's that's old-fashioned red carpet right there. Verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, the hour was late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. So he came in and kind of looked, at the, looked inside the temple, and then he left. Now the next day, when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Uh, I don't think he was in a bad mood and just kind of flippantly did this. There's got to be purpose, right? I mean, so what this, one, one way you have to read this is that you could, if you needed to, you could curse a tree. He's going to tell his disciples how to do it. In a minute, they're going to be so amazed that you curse the, the fig tree. You curse. He's going to say, okay, here's how it happens. Have faith in God. And whatever you say, it can happen if you don't doubt what you're saying. So he's, going to, he's about to teach them how to curse trees if you need to curse trees. Of course, you don't need to curse fig trees. We need to start planting some fig trees. We, we don't need to curse fig trees. Uh, but you do need to curse some things in your life. You need to depict some, some bad habits in your life. You need to pick some problems in your life, any demon activity, any spirits of infirmity. You need to know how to use your mouth to curse those things. He's training, he's teaching, he's showing how, how people on the earth have authority in the earth over earth stuff. Things pertaining to the earth life you have authority over. And if demons are afflicting earth life, you have authority over them. So we'll get to that in just a second. And his disciples heard him say it. So they came to Jerusalem. And then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturn the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry the, the wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. So here we see uh, a, a possible... I'm not 
absolute here, doesn't say it, a possible correlation to cursing the fig tree. The fig tree was supposed to have figs. Jerusalem was supposed to have fruit. The fig tree was supposed to have figs. Jerusalem was supposed to receive the Messiah and be the leaders in this thing. And so it's possible that that was a correlation. But then let's get literal about it. He went in there and he saw him in the temple. Uh, really, they were trading. And the trend was, they were, history tells us, they were being very dishonest in the way that they sold and bought. Uh, you know, having scales that were dishonest scales, having exchange rates that were very exorbitant toward the Jews, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he, he's just saying that the temple is not where we do this stuff. Get this stuff out of here. You've made it a den of thieves. You know, buying and selling is not wrong. He called them a den of thieves. Buying and selling is God's business system. It's always been God's business system. Buying and selling is not wrong. It's the thievery of it. Now, some people have wondered, well, yeah, but it's, he said you can't go in the temple and you shouldn't be buying and selling in the temple. And they, that means you shouldn't have anything sold at church. Look, we barely have anything sold here. It's just to, you know, we're providing value and product, whether it's, you know, Cokes and crackers or whether it's stuff in the faith resources that have taken a lot of money and time and effort to put. So the exchange for a valuable resource is worth money. God's not against that. We're not doing dishonest stuff. This is not about a money-making scheme. Uh, it's to use money for the gospel. And if you don't have any money and you still want a faith product, a book or whatever, you can have it for free. Our, our faith store people have the right to make deals with you if you don't have enough money. Now, if you start abusing that, and if, and if you start... Well, I'm your friend, right? So how about a 55%? But we, we, our goal is to break even in the, in, the, in the faith store. Get the products out, give away a bunch for free, and about break even, maybe a little profit just to make us feel okay. Uh, but the, the only reason we do that is not, we didn't pick stuff to put in there so that we can have money coming in. No, no, no. It's there because you need it. Like I would not have grown spiritually without my investment into lots of spiritual resources. I mean, if I found a, if I found a teaching series, that's like, I, I'll buy that. I need, I want that. I need books. I need a library of books. I need to pay for my spiritual life. Invest, don't be afraid to invest in your spiritual life. And the way that I, I really like to do it uh, and, and, uh, is if I read a book that does something for me, that really feeds me, or if I start using their material, I send an offering. The book purchase was nothing compared to the value I received. And I'm an honest person, so I want to make sure I give back the value of what I got. I'd rather give the stuff for free and then have people value it. Just send, send in whatever, however valuable it was. If it was just two cents valuable, send two cents. If you didn't like it at all, get your money back. For those of us, but for those of us who value spiritual things, we don't have any problem paying for stuff, right? Those of us who value spiritual things have no problem with churches receiving offerings. Isn't that right? How many of you hate Elon Musk? Yes. 
Nobody hates Elon Musk. He's just making, he's just making cars for people. You'll go buy his car. You're not mad at him. You buy his car. You're not mad. You're mad when he reduces prices. Okay, let me get back to this. Verse 18, the scribes and chief priests heard it and they saw how he might destroy him, how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Uh, Let me mention this other thing. So uh, one of the other gospels says that he was angry. He looked on about them with anger. And so some have used that to say, see, Jesus was angry. You can be angry too. No, we have plenty of scripture that says, do not be angry. Put off all these anger and wrath and malice and put on love and start loving your enemies. Don't be angry at people. So you, 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 have, to, you have to disconnect the two and say, well, wait a second. How come it was okay for him to be angry? This is a righteous anger. Righteous, and he didn't, hurt, he didn't kill people. He just changed the way they were doing stuff and got them out of there. Okay? There's times when a flash of fire will come in our eyes for something unrighteous and we have to do it just, we have to deal with it justly. Does that make sense? So it's not saying that you can't have uh, some righteous anger in you. One scripture says, be angry and do not sin. So you have to recognize what the source of your anger is. Sure, when we see ungodly things being done that we could have something to do with, we have a little anger about that. When we see the world make stupid decisions and the governments make stupid decisions, there's a little righteous anger in there. But don't sin. That means don't go mumble and complain about it. If you can do something about it, do something about it. Pray about it, but don't go sin just because you're mad at somebody at your company or down the street, whatever. But I've had people who had an anger problem try to use that to keep their anger. It's amazing how people will rationalize and justify their actions dishonestly. Praise the Lord. But not us. Amen. Not us. You read the Bible, you're supposed to go, oh. Didn't we just do this Wednesday night? You read the Bible, you're supposed to go, oh. Ooh. Oh. Okay. Ooh. Wow. Oh. Every scripture is supposed to touch your heart in a way that you're pliable to it. Don't try to find ways around it using your experience and your opinion and your lifestyle. Everybody go, yeah. Now in the morning, verse 20, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig, fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them. So here's his teaching moment. You know, notice that the, when he said it, the, the day that he said you're cursed, nothing changed. They had said it then. They just said, wow, that was a quick miracle. No, it was another day. So whenever you use your mouth to cause a miracle or to pray something, don't immediately decide. Did it work or not? You need to know that it worked and it started at the root and God will take care of whatever needs to take care of. Uh, don't, don't be looking at it, disagreeing with yourself or, or doubting God or being disappointed. Sometimes people have instant disappointment. Pray for me. Amen. It's still there. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Trust God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God at least 24 hours. At least 24 hours. That's why a lot of times after we do a big healing men, uh, meeting here, it's like, hey, don't think about it for, for, till tomorrow. Don't, don't, go, to, go, go home, go eat, go have fun today, go take a nap, go to, go to bed tonight, and don't think about it until tomorrow. Give it at least 24 hours. Verse 22, have faith in God. Have faith in God. In the Greek, it says, the only reason I even can get close to the pronunciation, because I have my friend Angelo Metropolis, my Greek brother, and he, he showed me this, because we've heard this said from pulpits, that it means have God's faith. Have the faith of God. You've heard that before. And anytime I hear somebody saying those things, it's like, wait a second, can I prove that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me go look that up myself. I'm not just going to start preaching that if it's not true. And so I go to my references. I go to the Strongs. I go to the interlinear, interlinear if I have to. Um, but I had Angelo Metropolis, and so I was traveling with him. And I said, hey, Angelo, uh, can you tell me what that is in the Greek? And he, he broke it out for me, and he said, it's exactly as they're saying. He said, if it was have faith in God, it would have said X, Y, Z. But it's really have God's faith. Meaning you can have faith like the Lord Jesus Christ had. You can have faith like God had. God's faith is what started the universe. He had a dream. He said it out of his mouth. He had something in his heart. He said it out of his mouth and the earth was created. That's the principle of faith. We, we have the same type of faith as God. That's how you and I got born again. If you're born again, if you're saved, if you're truly born again and saved, here's how it happened. You had a belief in your heart and you said it out of your mouth. You believe Jesus was the son of God, died for your sins. And you said something like that out of your mouth. Jesus, be my Lord, save my soul, forgive me my sins. You believe something in your heart and you said it with your mouth. That's God's faith. That's how God operates. That's how miracles happen. So Jesus is putting this on the disciples. Have the same type of faith God has. Or you can also say, have faith in God. Sure, you can do it as it's translated there. Have faith in God. And if you have faith in God, you'll do the next verse. Verse 23. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Now he's going to go from fig trees to mountains. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things... He, uh, that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. So now he's going from a small tree to a mountain. He, he's basically taking all the limits off of this principle. So let's take it even one step further. So not just trees and not just physical mountains. How about spiritual hindrances in your mind? How about discouragement in your brain? How about depression that's sitting on your shoulders at home? Let's go from not just fig trees and natural mountains, which you don't need to be moving mountains tomorrow, but you do need to be moving depression off of your back. You do need to be moving spirits of infirmity out of your body. You do need to be moving any kind of demonic oppression that's bothering you or your family. Anything that's causing your behavior to be really wacky is likely demon driven or it's, it's, it's flesh driven, which if you can't if you don't control your flesh over a period of time, demons will get in there. It's just the way it works. 
Like anger is really a part of your flesh. So if you're angry, then you're just being a flesh person. You're being carnal. That's what carnal means, right? Carnal means meat. Carn, carnivorous is a meat eater. So if you're a, a carnal Christian, that means your brain is being carnal. That means you're a meat head. And if you're being a meat head, you can't come to the front and get the devil cast out of you. No, the cure for being a meathead or an anger person is to feed your spirit and do spiritual stuff so you're healthy spiritually and can control your flesh. For those who lived in the 70s, you know who Meathead was. The Meathead. Verse 23. Assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus. Now, Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, uh, your Savior, God Himself in the flesh, the Lord Jesus, He said this. Okay, this is not from a preacher, this is not from a book, this is not from somebody made it up. This is the Lord Jesus Christ said this. He said, whosoever, whosoever can take part in this. Whosoever can take part in this. Not, not just preachers, not just special people. Whosoever. How many whosoever's are in here? Do you realize that you need to go ahead and say, oh, I'm a whosoever. Oh. You mean I got to try to move a mountain? Not really, but you do need to put yourself in this passage and realize you have some authority and power to do some stuff. And if you have authority, that means you also have responsibility to do some stuff. And if you don't, if you don't curse the fig tree when you need to, and if you don't move the mountain when you need to, that's on you. But notice what he says here. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Notice that you and I are not supposed to pray to God, move the mountain. Jesus did not say pray to God. He says have faith in God, didn't say pray to God. Oh God, please move this mountain. That's not what the scripture says. Now you can pray that if you want to, but that's not being accurate according to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you will say to the mountain. How many of you have spoken to inanimate objects before? You know you have when you stub your toe on the, the couch. When things aren't going your way in the kitchen, you know you speak to that stuff. So don't act like this is weird. Just flip it onto the spiritual side where you're doing the will of God so that you can say good things and right things and cause things in the earth to take place that need to. Whoever gets to do this, even a 15-year-old can do it. Whoever can say to the mountain, but you have to do the saying to the mountain. And this is why there's so many people that come for prayer. And uh, we, we make, a lot of times I want to see you catch the principle. I'll cast the thing out. I'll command the healing. And then I want you to do it. Not because what I did might not have worked, but so, so that I can see that you're ready for the counterattack later. You need to know how to tell the thing to stay gone. 
This is how faith works. Look, this is faith. He's teaching how faith works. Faith is not just twiddle your thumbs and skip around the tulips, just waiting for God. And I just, I just, I just have faith in God. Okay, if you have faith in God, say something to the mountain. Simple as that. If you have faith in God, say something to the problem. Some, some of you need to be saying something to your bank account. Well, I've been praying, Pastor. I've been praying and praying and praying about my job and my money. Well, why don't you say something to your empty bank account? Why don't you say something to all the companies out there that need your employment? Just speak to it. I'm getting a job. Some of you need me out there. I'm coming. Get bold, get confident, have faith in God and start saying some stuff that's supposed to happen. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Hallelujah. I think we just talked about, you know, you see the picture of Kenneth Hagin. He's got his, you ever seen this picture of Kenneth Hagin? You can see him in services. He'll do almost every time he teaches this, you'll see this. Because the Lord stopped him one time and said, take a look in there and see how many times the word say is in that passage. Versus how many times the word believe is in that passage. Sure, you need to believe, but you need to say it more. We all need to believe, but we need to say it more. Three times you need to be saying it compared to your one believing. Sometimes people think, well, I got faith. I know, but you hadn't said much. I have faith in God. I, I have faith in God. I know, but your mouth needs to start saying it. Your mouth needs to start quoting a scripture. Your mouth needs to start telling that sickness to disappear. Your mouth needs to say something to the pain that's kept bothering you. Your mouth needs to speak to that fear and that dread and that worry. If you're, if you're worrying about something, you need to say something to that worry. Shut up, I ain't worrying. Shut up, I ain't dreading. Shut up, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of you. Mr. Bad Report, you can even give it a title. Mr. Bad Report, I'm not afraid of you. You got to put some words on it. We learned how to do this at the church, you know. We get the bank statement. We get the uh, balance sheet. And if it's got any, you know what, you know what parentheses means. Or if it's red, we don't just sit there and go, oh my gosh, oh God. No, the first statement is you're a liar. You're not lining up with what God already said. He meets all of our needs. We don't have any brackets. We don't have any red. You gotta say something. You'll, you'll see it changes you. It, it, it launches you up to your rightful place on the throne with God. Where all of a sudden now you actually have faith with him. Faith in him and, and, and you're sitting with him. So be removed, you gotta to say to this mountain, whoever says, be removed, cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart. So you can't doubt in your heart. You gotta know it in your heart. But believes those things he says will be done. He'll have whatever he says. So you'll have whatever you say, but you gotta say it. You'll have whatever you say and not whatever you think. You'll have whatever you say, not whatever you believe. The emphasis on the saying part. There's power in your words. You've got to know this. And this is why people who don't want a bad marriage end up having a bad marriage because the stuff they're saying. You have got to quit, quit saying garbage. We, if you want a good marriage, if you're believing God for one, you've got to start saying only healthy and holy and good and righteous things in your marriage. 
So they just dig themselves holes by saying wrong things for years and years and months and months. And it's just like, where's God? Well, he's way back up here waiting for you to say something right. And sometimes you've finally bridled your tongue a bit, but you let your brain keep thinking it. Well, if your brain keeps on thinking it, it's going to sink down into your heart. And so your heart's going to have it. So we're not just talking about duct taping your mouth so that your heart can't say all the evil that's in it. No, you need to put good things in your mind so it gets into your heart so that the only thing that wants to come out of your mouth is a good thing. This faith, faith 101, this is basic faith principle. People are like, I don't know about the faith church. This is all we're talking about. It's just explaining what Jesus already set in motion for his people. And notice this, like if, if you, I always used to say this, that if you needed to move a mountain, like, I mean, to move a mountain, you would have to drive at least two hours. There are no mountains nearby. You'd have to go somewhere an hour, two hours away to even get to a mountain. But if, like you really think we could move a mountain, well, Jesus said you could. So I, I just tend to believe the Lord Jesus Christ that he actually knows best. That he meant what he said. He said what he meant. I'm not going to question even when it's a pretty far-fetched out there. Walking on water is pretty far-fetched. And two humans did it. So I like to say that if you needed to move a mountain, like if your family was dying on the other side of a mountain, let's say the whole mountain was on fire and you needed to save your family, you could move that mountain. If you needed to, your faith could hook up with it and do it. Don't you believe that? Like, you know, most of you can't walk on water today. But if your family needed you to walk on water, you could use your faith to save somebody. You have to think about that a little bit. Uh, and then maybe even practice. How many of you ever practiced walking on water? I, I practiced it before. In a swimming pool. In the name of Jesus. Nope. Well... I knew I knew I knew I really didn't need to, and therefore I knew that it wouldn't work. People say, "Well, you can do anything. You can fly like a bird." With no, you can't do ridiculous things. But if you needed to, and your faith could hook up with it, you could. But yeah, no, nobody's gonna be flying around. Look at all the Christians. <laughs> Don't, don't get silly. Don't, don't, be silly. don't be a silly Christian. But do, do recognize that there is life application for this, where miracles actually happen because of the ingredients taking place. See, the truth is you can walk on water if your heart didn't doubt. But for your heart not to doubt walking on water, you're going you're gonna to need to spend some ample time in the scripture and, uh, and with God. Okay, to get rid of your depression, you're going to have to spend ample time in the scripture and with God. It's very possible for you to get free from what's dogging your life. I don't care if it's poverty chasing you or the devil himself chasing you or temptation chasing you or whatever, fears and worries and dreads and bad attitude and bad character. You're going to have, you can stop it all. You can stop being so ornery. Tonight, today, today we're going to have an ornery altar call. 
Come on, if you feel like you're being too ornery, come up here and I'll pray for you. Well, ornery, ornery, cantankerous, how about that? Cantankerous people, they don't need prayer. They need a kick in the butt, no. Cantankerous people don't need prayer, they need, you come up here for that? Start reading and living this. Time to start obeying God. If you can't get the love walk straight, listen, if you don't know how to walk in love, you need to get saved. If you're not walking in love, you need to get saved. You get saved, the Holy Spirit will shed abroad the love of God in your heart. But you got to really mean it. You got to really know it. You got to really believe that you're saved and you'll have the love of God in here. And if you want that love of God to start coming out a lot easier, you need to pray in tongues. Praying in tongues helps the love of God come out. Build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, keeps yourself in the love of God. How many of you have heard me say this before? How many of you have heard me say this over and over and over again? How many of you wish I would stop saying it? No, because it is the secret to a loving, compassionate lifestyle that if you're not praying in tongues... You're not going to walk in love properly. And if you're, some people, I don't know how to pray in tongues. Well, you need to come up and get filled with the Holy Spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have some tongues. You need to start praying in tongues 30 minutes a day, hour a day, however much you can a day. And you'll see things change in your life. You'll see that the identity that you have of yourself is in Christ. You'll start seeing the Bible come alive to you. If you'll pray in tongues, you'll see scriptures come alive to you. If you'll start praying in tongues, you'll be able to listen longer in church. Yeah. You'll go from 15-minute capacity to hour capacity. Don't worry. I can feel you drifting. I know, I know when people start drifting. I know when the 15-minute capacity hits and the 30-minute capacity hits and the, and the bathroom break takes place. You know, I know all these things. All right, we got to finish this. Okay, so you can have whatever you say if you'll believe it in your heart and say it and mean it. Okay? Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you desire or ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. King James says desire. It's also the word ask. It's the same Greek word and you can interchange either one. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is another faith principle that when you pray, you're supposed to believe. And you're supposed to believe that you actually have them when you pray. So if you need a car, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I always encourage the 15-year-olds and the 16-year-olds, this is what you do first. Before you start tugging on mom and dad's coattails for a car, you need to ask God for a car. Before you start deciding that you only have this amount of money to buy a, a, a car that needs a lot of repair, uh, ask God. For a car. Lord, I desire a car that runs fairly well with air condition, good tire. I, I, I want a good car. I ask you for one, God, in Jesus' name. Then you're supposed to thank you, Lord. I receive it from you right now. Wonderful, God. I got it. I got it. 
thank you so much. You can even envision it. You can take a picture. You can do a Google search. Find the car. Thank you. I've got it. Thank you, God. I got it. You got to do that in prayer to where your heart says, you got it. To where your heart, where the bell in your heart rings. Whew, I got it. You know, at the carnival, when you hit the big thing, ding, you need to stay in prayer until you sense, ding, I got it. Then you go to bed the next day, you look out the window. You're so convinced that you have it, it might show up. This is how faith acts. Faith receives it in prayer. Faith doesn't pray and then, um, I'm believing God. I'm believing God. Pray. I'm still believing God, y'all. I'm still believing God. That's not the, the scripture does not say keep believing God. It says the, the better the better phrase would be, I have believed God. I believed it when I prayed. I have believed God. That's the testimony of somebody who is trusting the Lord. Somebody who has anchored and connected to God in faith has a different phrase than, I'm, I'm believing God. Somebody looks like that, you're like, you better keep on. <laughs> you, you might need to do one more thing because it looks like you're a little, a little worried. Looks like you're working it still. I say, you work it until you can walk away saying, I have believed God. He has heard, he has answered. I've got it. You can treat anything in your life this way. This is how a faith person really does it. This is how a Christian who believes God really does it. Rather than just pray, 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 and hope that something sticks. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe, you receive them, and you will have them. And then, of course, we can't forget verse 25. Whenever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So forgiveness is part of this because, like when you read something like that, it's like, why? You can't just walk around, you know, blaming unforgiveness as the only reason for unanswered prayer. You have to ask the, the question, why? And then all of a sudden, other scriptures open up to show you why something like unforgiveness would stop your prayer life. And it's not because God's got his little memo pad up there. Did you ask for forgiveness yet? Okay, I'm not doing it. Oh, ask for forgiveness? Okay, now you can get your prayer in. It's not, that's not how it works. It's not quite so surface. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your heart. You start looking in the New Testament, you'll see why you need to stay forgiven. Why? That if you've committed trespass, it will rob you of your faith. That, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask of him, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That's 1 John 3, 21. All of a sudden you realize that he's trying to protect our heart from losing faith. If you're living in sin, you won't have faith. A clean conscience keeps your faith strong. 
But a conscience that accuses you of sin or unforgiveness will cause your faith to leak out. You have faith, it'll leak out. We know you believe you're doing your best, but if your heart condemns you, makes you feel guilty for stuff, your faith leaks out. So you need to walk in love and make sure you're forgiving everybody or you're going to have a difficult spiritual life. And after you confess, then you need to believe God cleans you from it. So if you need to forgive somebody, just do it right now. How do you forgive somebody? You don't think up emotionally how you forgive them. No, you simply say it. So just close your eyes and pick somebody and say, I forgive them. I forgive them. Now this is participation moment. All right. Just, just, if you know you're totally free, you don't have to do it. But, but everybody else, close your eyes and say, I forgive them. I forgive them. I love them so much. I forgive them. Oh, I want a miracle for them. Bless them, God. I like them. Love them. Want the best for them. Not mad at them. Forgive them. I forgive them. Have mercy on them. That's how you forgive somebody that you don't really want to. Deep down you want to. That's how you make your flesh do it. You say it. Now, now you just forgave them. Did y'all just forgive them or not? You need to walk away saying, I just forgave them. I said it. I said it in a minute. Therefore, nothing stops my prayer from getting answered today. This is how you take the Bible literally, put it to practice in your life and expect it. Those who expect this stuff to come to pass, get it. Like I've taught this before that really, if you want to break faith down and miracles down to like one simple phrase or way to see it, faith means that you decide this will come to pass for you. That's all it is. Faith is you believing this so much, you decide this will work for me. This works for me. This has worked for me. This God's word shall come to pass for me on this one now. Faith is just you deciding. Faith is about you making a decision. Decision to be saved, you get saved. Decision to be healed, you'll be healed. Faith is a, to get healed, decide it. Decide it. By his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. You were healed. By his stripes, I am. I am. I am. That's it. That, it's working for me. That's it. I'm standing on that. That settles it. I've decided. I've decided I'm healed. Don't need any extra things. I'm healed. Got it. Got it. I got it. I, I decided. Hallelujah. That's how we got the property here. Heard from God. We decided this was ours. We took the proper steps. We said it and we said it and we said it and we finally got it. We decided this was ours. Hallelujah. 
How many of you have decided some things in your life? If you've decided it, you can rejoice about it. Some of you, whatever the miracle you need, some of you decided you were having a baby and you had a baby. When you decide you're having a baby, you don't pray and wait every month to see if you're pregnant. You just decide. Decide it. That's how you get pregnant. Declare the moment. I don't care if you've prayed a whole bunch and nothing's happened. You decide the very moment. I'm going up the altar one final time. Me and my spouse, we're going up. That's it. It's going to solve the whole thing. Bam. Boom, boom. I mean, you do have to do the boom, boom after you do the bam. And everybody's looking at the 15-year-old. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is how you get miracles to happen in your life, all right? Jesus did a lot of teaching on how to make miracles happen in your life, okay? Amen. Yeah. Yes. Amen. And faith people just say, okay. Yes. And then we follow the Holy Spirit so that we don't look kooky and flaky at Amen. the wrong time. It's okay to look kooky and flaky if you're about to make a miracle happen. But if you're just trying to make a miracle happen, don't do it. You'll look kooky and flaky. I've been there. You know, trying to do something by faith when you don't need to. Like walk on the swimming pool water. But then again, you never know when it's going to really strike your heart. And I remember going fishing one time, the, the rain and the, the, the lightning clouds were about to ruin the fishing trip. And I rebuked them. And I didn't look up for about 30 seconds. And when I finally looked up, it had split. Total split, just way far away from me. And I caught a bunch of trout. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.